Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Samson Folk, and today is a mailbag episode. I took questions from Twitter users, many of which were just fantastic. I think it's a really great crop of talking points, so big shout out to them. But uh, I hope it also captures the sentiment of the fan base. And so we'll get into it. It's some basketball philosophy stuff, who the Raptors should maybe target in the draft. I won't be super in-depth in that because... I haven't done much scouting, but I'll have many conversations with really high-level scouts in the in the coming weeks, I guess. Um, some who should they trade for, who should they target with the mid-level exception, re-signing guys, you know, basketball philosophy and all that kind of stuff will tie in. So yeah, that's um that's kind of where we are at with that one. So yeah, we'll uh we'll get into it. So the first question is from Seymour Dallas, Mo Dallas underscore quote. With the newfound parity of the NBA in recent years, do you think this will embolden the front office to try to win with the FVV and Pascal core? If not, what should be the move in your opinion? End quote. Okay, so the parity helps, definitely. And I think that's something that the, the Raptors front office is obviously keenly aware of. Are there sleeping dragons in the NBA? Is the, you know, is Dallas about to acquire somebody who will, really vault up the Mavericks or something like that. Are the Boston Celtics the new regime in the East? You know, if they pay everybody, keep everybody around, all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, I think that the Raptors are going to give Pascal and Fred Van Vliet a shot to uh, hold steady the ship and then acclimate to whatever version of Scotty Barnes comes along. If Scotty Barnes doesn't pan out as, you know, an absolute all-star and hopefully punching up at like all NBA you know, on his rookie contract, who knows? But if he doesn't do that, then that means that it's probably not tenable for the Raptors to reach for the stars with Pascal and Fred as their main guys, you know, especially if if other guys aren't coming along in a meaningful way. But if Scotty is a rookie contract all-star, then this team starts to look really funky, really interesting, and probably like a a conference finals team, maybe. Fred was an all-star. Pascal was all-NBA. And, you know, if Scotty's an all-star level player, they have guys like OG, Gary Trent, who we'll talk about, you know, in this podcast for sure, as far as like trading stuff, because I think he's the, given his contract situation, he's the obvious player that most people toss in trades and stuff like that. And and Precious Achua on his rookie scale contract, who I think may be making an all-defense team. There's a lot of room for upward growth on this roster. And so I think it does make sense to kind of allow Pascal and Fred to steady the ship and wait for everybody else to come along because you know you can win, you know, an NBA championship with with Pascal and Fred on the squad. So 
I think it's it's worth the while. If not, what should be the move? I that's a really really loaded question because you could go anywhere from there. Basically, what you start doing is, you know, you, you wonder between Fred and Pascal, who are you moving first? Who do you want to keep on? Who do you think fits best next to Scotty? You know, if you think that he's the future, or if you're trying to kind of trade, you know, bundle guys together to get a a star like Donovan Mitchell or something like that. It's it's tough. There's just so many different ways to go. So I don't have a good answer to that one though. Next question is from the ever famous Nakias Duncan, who apparently has been stamped by Doris Burke, was on the Low Post podcast, had JJ Redick on his own podcast, just uh, doing really great things uh, over at Basketball News. But he says, "Hello, pal. What's your faith level in Precious that you will becoming more of a hub versus purely a play finisher in the half court?" This is a good question. A really, really good question. So I, I did a bit of a write-up for it. So my apologies if our criteria for hub is a little bit different. So an example of what I think a low-volume hub would be is like Thaddeus Young in Chicago, where he's making a bunch of reads on the short roll, but as a hub, he's playmaking out of the post, split action, and like a bunch of DHO packages and stuff like that. So it can be low-volume, although most stars are hubs in some form or fashion. And as you know, finishers can be much better than hubs given the proper context. And so whether he's a hub or a finisher, it really depends on how everybody or how valuable that is. It depends on how everybody around him progresses. And Nick Nurse, he just had a press conference where he talked about, you know, he said he felt like he could have gone more to Scotty and Pascal on ball and kind of giving them point responsibilities. So with Fred, with Pascal, with Scotty, and whatever OG is doing next year, Gary Trent, you know, I, I think that uh, for the foreseeable future, Precious is in a finisher role. And I, I think that's a really great role for him. Of course, he steps outside of, you know, the team's comfort zone, but not necessarily his to try and um, get reps as a guy who's on ball and making reads as a creator. I don't think his reads are that great on ball. So the playmaking stuff, as far as a passer, I'm not really high on, and it's tough to imagine like him being a post hub or, you know, if he's the hub, it means that defenses kind of get to load up on him. And if he was an isolation hub, which does lean into quite a few of his burgeoning skills, that also means that extra attention probably comes with that. And how are his reads passing out and all that kind of stuff? I think that is very far behind. Of course, it's precious. So you never know where it ends up or what it looks like, but um, I, I wouldn't imagine it like that. I think it would probably be more something like, a dribble handoff situation. Um, it not really like Bam, it not really like Sabonis, but just the Raptors love weave action. And so I think that opens up a lot of opportunities for Precious to be a connector guy who can, you know, if he wants to lean into his physicality and mobility, he could probably be pretty good in those situations, you know, deciding between, you know, putting a good screen on, on a handoff, flipping that screen or rescreening and just dedicating himself to those kind of sets to free up guys. You know, if he's going to be like that, that would be good. He's a physical guy. He's, you know, an absolute brick. Um, when other guys try to move him on defense, hopefully that could be applied to screen setting. But also the keeper plays. We saw it attacking closeouts above the break that he's great when he's downhill. He has the fluidity to kind of move around guys who are trying to contend him at the rim, whether it's on the ground with live dribble or in air. I think that he's looked great. And uh, yeah, I think he has the coordination to navigate those spaces on the move. So keeper plays are probably something that could really pop off for him. So that would be perhaps a a type of hub for him. 
but I don't know if that's as expansive as, uh, as maybe you're looking for. And yeah, more than anything, you know, as we saw in the playoffs, I think that he looked awesome as a finisher, as a guy attacking off of second side action. It really enhances his athleticism. The, the finishing has come around in a big way and, and the shooting, of course, the, one of the big developments of this season for precious was that the Raptors didn't have to use him as a roller where he had a really tough time navigating space and they could use him as a popper or they could use him to space out. And that simplified his role to these kind of linear possessions. And if you're a hub, I think you have to process a lot of reads and do a lot of stuff. And that is not what precious has been really good at. He's been really great at processing one read for himself and allowing his, you know, his talent to make those reads something good. Even, even when the 76ers went to zone in the playoffs, um, him flashing middle and then kind of, you know, Joel Embiid, you're not supposed to be stuck in space or lost in space in the zone, but the way that the 76ers played it, it meant that, you know, he had, he had gaps to attack and he's just a great athlete. So I think that leaning into the finisher stuff is probably the, the best way to kind of go about that for him. But you know, there's there's plenty of opportunity probably for him to get isolation possessions just because of the way Nick Nurse likes to develop guys. I guess we probably didn't expect to see as much isolation for Pascal Siakam as we've seen the past three years. I mean, he just led the league in isolations. Pascal, he's not Luca, he's not James Harden, he's not those guys, but he led the league in isolations. It's pretty wild. And OG had a way more isolations than you know, he was <laughs> OG was really bad in isolations this year, but he still had a ton of them. So, you know, there's always the potential that precious, I don't know about isolation hub, but uh, he might get a lot of isolation possessions next year and into the future too, just to see kind of what's popping. Nick nurse loves when he doesn't have to drop sets or anything. He just can (laughs) say, Hey, create, you know, take this ISO, see what you can do. And so I think that's kind of interesting, but I'm not, I'm not too hung up on him becoming a guy who makes like a ton of reads or anything because he makes a ton of reads on defense and a ton of good ones. And I think he's going to hang around like all defense level um, type of output on that end for quite a few years. And that paired with, you know, the finisher uh, archetype, he's kind of filling out with the little bursts of creation that maybe they become big bursts of creation for himself. At least I think that uh, that packages into a really, really good player. So yes, thank you, Nikias. This was a long answer, but it's, you know, it's one of the most intriguing aspects of the Raptors team building is like, what is precious? What does he do? So yeah, great question. Okay. This one is from hoop goose at hoop goose. And uh, he says, quote, salutations, Mr. Folk, please pararate targets. You would deem acceptable in an exchange for the 33rd pick of this year's draft. Much obliged, Mr. Goose End quote pararate. Oh my, I haven't heard that term in a long time, but, but good one. Um, okay. So I looked up what second round picks have been uh, traded for over the past couple of years. So it's like Matt Thomas and Terrence Davis, the Raptors have obviously been part of those. They got the, the 45th and 46th pick in last year's draft trading those uh, the Houston traded one plus cash for Kenyon Martin Jr., who was the 52nd pick the year before. Philly just bought one off of New Orleans last year. Greg Brown and Brandon Boston were both traded for future second rounders plus cash, but they, they were traded during their own draft. Taylor Horton Tucker, James Ennis, Willie Cauley-Stein, and Elijah Hughes all traded for second round picks. So a lot of these guys ended up being swaps for second round guys Anyways, if they aren't packaged in bigger deals, I didn't sort through big deals that had second rounders thrown in because I didn't think that was really 
good way to do it. I, I'm not expecting a huge package from the Raptors going anywhere. And James Ennis and Willie Cauley-Stein kind of stand out as the guys who were found success at the NBA level were, I think, and on good teams as well. They had found success on good teams and had played minutes and, you know, they ended up costing a second round pick. So that was interesting. So I tried to look at guys who might be kind of around that and maybe Trey Lyles is something like that, but I don't, I don't even know if the Raptors would be interested in something like that. Jalen Noel seems like somebody who the Raptors, maybe they could try that out but he seems like he would cost like two seconds and that still might be not paying much for him. I'm really high on Noel. I know you are too, Goose, and, and many people are starting to come around on him. But yeah, I, I'm not sure if he's really gettable. If he is like two seconds, one second, I, I would do either of those deals for Noel. But it's uh, I think it's a lot more likely that the Raptors kind of just stick with what they have and lean on their scouting and, and try and pick up a guy they like at 33. Because I think a lot of those trades will be instigated by teams who like somebody think they're falling and try and trade up. So a lot of these deals will be instigated from other teams. So I can't really, I, I'm having a tough time putting my mind in the shoes of the 29 other teams thinking about who they'd like. And then, you know, thinking about, okay, who would I trade? And maybe Minnesota is like, oh, yeah, we we think there's a lottery, maybe even a top 10 value at, at number 33. And it's a guard or a wing. And they say, OK, you know, we, we can punt on Noel because we believe in this guy. He's going to take Noel's minutes anyway. Let's see what we can get from the Raptors. And, and maybe the other teams around those picks said they didn't they weren't interested. Right. So all that kind of stuff could happen. But it's it's tough to say specifically. I just think the Raptors are going to bet on their scouting. Or, or it'll be packaged, but I, I can't really perorate about all that stuff very well. But thank you. Thank you, Goose. Okay, next one is from Doc Hobo at Dr. Hobo Blues. Big shout out, Doc. Uh, hello, what book you reading? What music you listen? Okay, so I'm uh, reading currently um, Blood Meridian. And that's because I, I've always been a really big fan of No Country for Old Men. And Louis Satzman and myself had a really interesting conversation about the themes in that book. And most notably that the Vietnam war created, you know, mass murderers and then just returned them home. And I thought that was, you know, and, and Cormac McCarthy wrote blood Meridian and it's considered his magnum opus. So I thought it would probably be worthwhile. It's very dark uh, so far. Um, then black Jacobin, I, I butcher the, fr the French pronunciation, but the Haitian revolutionary war, um, I'm working my way through this. My brother gave this to me. Uh, I'm going slower than I should be, but I'm also reading that. Music, um, Eve Toomer, who Dana actually recommended to me like a year ago, but I'm just starting now. And then there's L'Imperatrice, which is like this French new disco band that my friend T suggested to me. And he also um, suggested this math rock band called Chon, who I'm listening to. And then there's like this soulful... Um, bluegrass rock band called the Teskey brothers who I've been listening to. So that's kind of what I've been doing for music and reading. So yeah, thanks. Uh, no Jizza. I know you love Jizza. So sorry. <laughs> okay. So from Trey uh, at Heath underscore check, big cheese in that profile picture, looking good quote, need thoughts on Jalen McDaniels and Cody Martin's fit on the Raptors. So Cody Martin is obviously the better player at this point. But uh, McDaniels, he occupies more of the ethos of the Raptors. If you're really going to dive into 
who the Raptors are, that length and just kind of being able to stretch all over the floor. But um, Martin is a pretty heady cutter. He shot like 39% from three and he's an active defender. I think that you can make the case that, well, I, I would make the case that both of these guys would fit in extremely well uh, in the Raptors system. Cody Martin, because he's, I think, well, he, he could be the ninth man on a really good team during the regular season. I, you know, why not? And, um, and McDaniels, I think, would have the same thing happen with, that happened with Chris Boucher and that happened with Banton, where you see in this defense, you know, that, that fetishizes length, that these guys suddenly, you know, the best parts of their game get supercharged a little bit and the worst parts kind of get papered over because that's what the Raptors um, defensive ethos is kind of supposed to do. And that's why they're building their team with all of this in mind. So I like both of their fits on the Raptors, I think, uh, but uh, they're both restricted, I believe. So it would have to be a trade. It's not like they could pick, a guy up with the, the MLE or the biennial exception or something like that. But it's uh it's interesting. Maybe, maybe that's one of those guys, the second round pick gets um for goose gets traded for, but uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with that. So thanks. Thanks uh, Trey. Okay. So this one is from God damn it, man at a nine zero one seven zero three one nine quote. Do you ever feel that OG develops a reliable ISO game combined with off the dribble playmaking to become an all-star level offensive threat, or is he destined to be an elite three and D guy? End quote. Okay, so he's not. I this is quibbling maybe because three and D is more nebulous than it should be. I think, but I don't think that OG is a three and D guy currently at all. Um, he did fail tremendously at at isolations this year, but he was he was a good post hub. And he still, you know, he can get to the rim off of his own dribble, even with, you know, a less than ideal isolation situation. So I don't think that OG's 3 and D. I think that he's well past that in some regards. It's just, it's just clunky. But just because it looks bad doesn't mean it is bad all the time. So the isolations were bad, but he's doing other things off the dribble. He's getting to the rim. And so 3 and D, I don't think, you know, encapsulates OG. But it's starting to kind of get tough to imagine just with the balance and the handle limitation to see him getting to an all-star level now, and especially with the pull-up. Now, guys develop, you know, athletically, guys kind of put it together, especially guys who have such long legs and so, so many extremities going so many different ways like OG. But I think that vision that I had of, you know, OG, that many people had of OG as an all-star level player you know, the potential of it is maybe shrinking away, but that doesn't make me any lower on him as a Raptor. I think he's just, he's fantastic. His defense is tremendous. He, he does so many important things on offense outside of shooting the three, like screening, rolling to the rim. He's a great roller. Maybe we'll see more of that next year, um, which I talked about in the review slash projection that I did for OG. So that, that was all cool. And, you know, the pull-up shooting and the balance on drives is kind of, what's limiting him right now. That's pretty tough to overcome, but, and there's a bunch of different things that go into that as far as like shot doctor on the lower half and, and just working on balance and being malleable and adaptable in all those situations. But if I had to put money on it now, I don't think so. But why would you, you know, look away from like a 10% chance or something, 10, 15% chance. So yeah, I mean, give them hell OG. You're a really good player. Who knows what happens? I think that's a, an interesting outcome, but I'm not bullish on it. 
Okay, next one from at West SS underscore 101. Quote, what are the Raptors looking like cap-wise if they bring back guys like Thad and Boucher? Can they afford a 3 and D guard slash wing, or are they relying on guys like Champagny and Johnson to step up, end quote? So they can afford to bring back Thad and Boucher. You know, if I'm kind of ballparking what they'll what they'll get paid. I don't I don't think they're gonna combine for more than like 30 million together or anything like that. And they have their mid-level exception. That's the biggest thing. Cause even if they renounce all of this money and you know get rid of every single cap hold they have and stuff like that, they're better off paying their guys with bird rights like Thad and like Chris because they can afford to pay those guys more than they'd be than they'd make or be able to pay if they renounced everybody. They don't have a lot of cap room, um, except for the exceptions, like the middle-level exception and the non-taxpayer middle-level exception, by the way, which I believe is $10.8 million. It's tough to get a quality 3 and D guy for $10.8 million. I mean, you know, you look at guys, you're probably shopping $15, 16000000 million for guys who are off rookie-scale contracts and who are going to play rotation 3 and D minutes on a good team. I'd assume, you know, this is asked by another person, so I'll save it for them. But I'd assume they look elsewhere with the MLE just because that that archetype is like priced out at $10.8 million. That's really tough unless there's somebody who they think they have like a really good beat on who's underrated. But I, I don't have that type of intel. I don't know who they're who they're looking at league wide as, you know, a second draft guy or something like that. Because the and the MLE can be split up to pay, you know, different players. Like it doesn't have to be 10.8 million at once. You can, you can split it up and spend it, you know, in a couple different places. So we'll see about all that, but uh, I, I don't think they'll get a three and D um, guard or wing. I'm not, I'm not expecting that, but that would be really cool. That would, I, if they didn't have to trade away anybody important and they managed to bring a guy like that in house, I think that's some, um, some front office wizardry. Very impressive. Okay. So the next one, I see what you're doing with your username or, you know, your display name. I'm not doing it. Um, but at uh, Cyan underscore 924, quote, will the Raptors cut Svi if he opts into his player option, end quote. I don't think they will. Um, they, it's just, yeah, I don't think that's, it's 1.9 million. I don't think they'll want to cut that for no reason, especially since, you know, maybe Svi has a hot shooting season. He had one season on, I think it was Detroit where he went 40 plus percent and, you know, he, he still has other things going on. And so it's probably more uh, fiscally responsible to just take the 1.9 million with the potential that it does something rather than just eating that cost for a roster spot. But you never know. You never really know. Maybe somebody just like is off the map in training camp or something like that. But yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah. Okay, so there's a, a couple different MLE questions. One is from at Whispering375, and uh, one is from Ice Cold Cam Birch. And so, yeah, let's let's talk about those. Thanks for asking about the MLE. It's always interesting. So I have a couple targets um, written up here who I think, you know, are, are probably somebody that they could look at. Some of these guys, like Lonnie Walker, I really don't know. Like, he might, he might be priced out of the MLE. That's tough. Lewis and I talked about Lonnie quite a bit on the the podcast we did, I guess, you know, at this point, like 12, 13, a couple weeks ago. But Thomas Bryant, Isaiah Hardenstein, Mitchell Robinson, and Delon Wright, I think are all interesting. Thomas Bryant has always been, you know, a plus-plus offensive big 
he's been able to do a lot of things, but he's waned so much as far as what he gives you defensively that that's tough to imagine on the Raptors. But if he's, if he's on the MLE and they don't, you know, other guys are priced out, other guys have signed elsewhere. Maybe they take a chance on him, you know, post injury, maybe really leans into rehab. Well, I guess he's played, he's played, but you know what I mean? Like he's, he, he finds a new identity with the Raptors, I should say. And, you know, maybe something like that. Mitchell Robinson, I have no idea what uh, the vibes are with him in New York and what, what kind of plans they have for him. That's really interesting. He's just, he has so much length. He eats up so, so much space and uh, he, he blocks a lot of shots, which the Raptors don't have a ton of shot blockers, but, you know, that's not really how they defend the rim. And, you know, I think that the rim defense will get better next year, even without bringing in like a center. I just think that the the collection of Precious and Scotty and Pascal and OG uh, and Fred dig downs and stuff like that will help. But yeah, Mitchell is interesting, especially as like a lob threat in the pick and roll. Hartenstein, man, Hartenstein is really, really good. I, I think he's one of the most, especially before this season, there were quite a few people, um, big shout out Reese, uh, who in, like, I think it was two years ago, almost at this point where Blake and I were discussing Hartenstein as a, you know, somebody that the Raptors should sign. And, uh, you know, it's, he got signed to the Nuggets while Blake and I were recording a podcast. And he's just been so good since his defensive numbers are insane. His rim protection stuff has been out of this world. He fouls way too much, but he's like, he can finish well. He's a tremendous playmaker for his size. He's such, he's very talented. He's very big. And, you know, in the read and react stuff that Nurse likes to run, if he happened to be out there, even though he is atypical for what the Raptors do defensively, just some big brutish size with like some nice flair playmaking and, and he can finish at the bucket too. Hartenstein would be a dream, but I, I really don't know what his market is going to be like. He's, he's really interesting. He's, he's unrestricted as well. And DeLon Wright, uh, DeLon Wright makes quite a bit of sense. I think he made like 9 million last year. I don't know if he's looking for more than the MLE or if, or if uh, the Raptors would want to, you know, maybe give him like seven or eight and save some or whatever that ends up looking like. But that's really interesting. Uh, yeah, Delon would be interesting. I think those are those are the MLE guys uh, that that I'd be looking at. But of course, it's like there's so many undrafted free agents, and everybody has different leanings, and everybody, you know, we all like different guys. So it's you know it's tough to kind of nail down. Oh yeah, it's these guys, but. Uh, on that list, I like four of those guys. Thomas, I'm much lower on. I just, I don't really know what his career is going to look like. But Lonnie Walker, I think would be awesome. Would be really great. Uh, Hartenstein, obviously, would be awesome. I don't know how realistic those goes, those guys are. Mitchell Robinson, you know, the, the field goal percentage uh, record setter for the NBA. And Dolan Wright, obviously, a homecoming of sorts. And fitting into like that you know, long, long uh, ideal that the Raptors have is interesting, especially if DeLon can hit catch and shoot threes, which has been something that's kind of been up and down in his career, even though he's tried to make it this linear progression. So yeah, thanks for asking the MLE question. It's obviously a very interesting one, something that the Raptors, it is their biggest tool for improvement, probably without thinking about like trades and stuff like that. Okay, and uh, a quick ad break before we get into the rest of the question. So do you want to get to the top of your game, Jack Health, 
at www.jack.health. They will help. And it's an online service for men's health that handles the doctor's appointment, the prescription, and the shipping, which, by the way, is free. All you need to do is stay home and relax. They've got stuff for sexual health, daily health, hair and skin, you name it. Order what you want, fill out some questions, and get it shipped straight to you. Skip having to lay out all your medical issues in the clinic waiting room and keep your private business private. Free shipping and easy prescriptions. Boost your game and do it all from the privacy of your own home. www.jack.health. Okay, we're on to the the next uh, part of the podcast, the second half. And uh, this, I guess, will be some some set stuff, uh, some trade stuff, and some some draft stuff. So that'll all be fun and some philosophy stuff, which I know the people who listen to this podcast a lot and listen to the full podcast, you'll want the philosophy stuff. So I'm putting it at the back end because I know you listen anyway. So yeah, um, that'll be at the back end. That'll be good. But uh, okay, from Abdel underscore taco. What is your opinion on a Gary Trent Jr. Sexton sign and trade framework with some defensive improvement from Sexton? Would a FBB Sexton backcourt be tenable? Kind of similar to how we ran FEB slash Lowry. Okay, this is really interesting. And off jump, this is something I would do. Um, and it par- partially, I think, just so people know, I'm, I've been in my commentary probably lower on Gary Trent Jr. than most Raptors analysts. And, you know, that's, that's fine. Different people value different things in, in the game and stuff like that. And, and I'm probably higher on Colin Sexton than most people. but. This is a little bit difficult because as far as I understand the CBA, if Sexton gets an offer sheet because he's a restricted free agent, if he gets an offer sheet that the Cavs don't want to match, then that deal is dead. Um, if he gets an offer sheet that you know the, the Cavs think, nope, we, we don't want Sexton for that much. The Raptors don't have enough money to compete, uh, A, and, and B, they can't go through with a sign-in trade because, you know, in a sign-in trade, he has to be signed by the Cavs. So there's there's a potential of that happening, which just makes this dead in the water. I think that probably Sexton would be expecting between maybe his his you know his team is going to go ask for like twenty two to twenty five. I imagine he falls somewhere between fifteen to twenty. I think Gary Trent Jr. is at like seventeen point nine is where he's at. So I think that the trade would go through. I think that would be worthwhile. And how would they fit together? I'd be really interested to see Sexton playing next to, to Pascal and Fred, honestly, because Pascal and Fred both got doubled at an insane rate this season. And the Raptors, while they need shooting, and that's what makes this seem kind of tough, is because a team that needs shooting is in this proposal trading away such a great shooter in uh, in Gary Trent Jr., albeit inconsistent. And I, I think that you'd get a lot of value with Sexton attacking gaps we kind of saw it with Precious against the 76ers. Precious didn't go off from three in the playoff series. What he did do was beat guys off the bounce and attack closeouts and get all the way to the rim. And that's something that Sexton absolutely will do. And, and you get, you know, point of attack stuff, defense. Um, I think that you know, there's like that meme is like dog in him, 100th percentile. I think that is Colin Sexton. I think that he would fit very well uh, in, in the Raptors scheme. It just idealistically uh, and what he's willing to do and put himself out on the floor. I think that there's potential there, but more than anything, just having a guy, he can initiate pick and roll. He will kill teams off the second, off second side action and stuff like that. And 
I think if the three-point shot comes along, which it was brutal last year for however long it was going on for um, before he got injured, I, I think he's such an intriguing fit on this team. And I think he is a swing at upside because I think his is considerably higher than Gary Trent Jr. But Gary Trent, on, on the other hand, is if Gary Trent, those, you know, those valleys flatten out and he becomes more consistent and, you know, those really hot streaks become something that happens more often and his, his valleys aren't as low, you're trading away one of, one of the better shooters in the NBA. That's, that's how good he can be for stretches. And so if that becomes more consistent, that's tough. But his, the Raptors, for starters, they've put him in a weird situation with his contract where it's kind of a funky contract, right? Like it's a, it's a player option in year three. And so he's going into year two and it's, it's not an extension we see very often, but it's the extension he got. And so he could walk next, next off season. Like he'll be unrestricted just because he signed after his rookie scale. Now he's here and he would be unrestricted. And he's certainly, you know, he, he'll probably want the bag and will the Raptors give it to him? Who knows? Would would they look to move him at the trade deadline? Who knows? But yeah, they'd have to they'd have to sign Sexton to a sizable deal, though. In that situation, I think a sign in trade has to be at least three years uh, for the deal. So yeah, I mean, you're probably looking at between fifty, yeah, probably fifty and sixty million dollar contract for for Sexton, if not more, um, if Sexton gets what he wants. So that's interesting. But I would do that trade. So yeah, uh, thanks for thanks for writing in, Abdel. Uh, good question. From Paolo Serber, quote, how good do you think the team would be in an unlikely no new star all win situation? Like getting a pair of good vets, Kuzma and Melton, Eric Gordon and Rashawn Holmes, John Collins and Justin Holiday, something along these lines without losing their main players. Okay, that's, I think they would be tremendous. Like any of those groupings, I think probably hmm, Kuzma and Melton is probably the most underwhelming of those groupings, but Kuzma is really, um, he fits on a team and he fits on the Raptors. I, man, Kuzma would be really nice on these Raptors actually. And yeah. And Melton, Melton is, you know, he's, he's a pretty good, uh, pretty good guard, especially a point of attack. And he'll give you some stuff on offense, but Eric Gordon, Rashawn Holmes. Okay. So he is, was accused of child abuse and then, you know, did stopped playing during the season. And then his, um, the other his partner took their child across state lines when she wasn't supposed to. And then Rashawn Holmes gained custody after the courts in the different areas conferred and looked at the case. And so um, I don't want to rule, you know, like one way or the other. You know, I, it's it's tough because, you know, it's just who knows. So I, I don't know about Rashawn Holmes, what his situation is for next season or anything like that. But. Uh, Eric Gordon or Sean Holmes, just as basketball players, that is a man. That's a really, really good uh, addition as well. John Collins, Justin Holiday, but I don't think this is feasible for the Raptors to achieve, especially not losing any of their players. But how good would this team be? Really, really good. Um, and you named like a ton of really good players here, and quite a few of them are underrated. So whatever you're doing, Paolo, as far as like watching basketball, you're picking up on good stuff. So that's fun and good. So thanks for writing in, Pello. Okay, so one from Carter at C underscore Movi. Quote, hi, Sam, love your work. Not exactly a research question, but would you rather Scotty come back next year with improved off-ball defense, 
off the dribble mid-range shooting or a corner three, end quote. I think the the improved off-ball defense, because that's where I, I don't think he has the juice for point of attack defense to be like an unbelievable stopper there. Um, I, I think that he's his best role, you know, that that all defense kind of picture that everybody might have of him. It isn't the guy who's like stepping out on guards, like for a bunch of possessions a game and snaking around pick and rolls and stuff or, or screens, I should say. And, and like this mix of like Lou Dort and Matisse Thibel or something like that. No, I, I don't think that's really in the cards, but he's, you know, uh, just this massive presence on the weak side. And we see it with Pascal Siakam just covering ground and doing so in a smart, you know, you know, just a way where you're reading the floor in a really great way that's beneficial for your team. And you can mitigate some advantages and still catch up to others. You can cheat in the right places and just be this presence that blows up actions. The off-ball defense, if Scotty came back with really good off-ball defense, it elevates the Raptors defense well past where it currently is. And it makes them, and, and he was already improving, by the way, but it, it really, really changes a lot of what they can do. And it also means that they don't have to rely on Siakam as much and that they can get a lot more adventurous with some of their schemes. So that would be awesome. And I just think Scotty, you know, the mid-range shooting, the corner three, that's stuff that he can just do in the gym. And if there's one thing I trust Scotty to do, it's just the stuff he can go do in the gym. I'm sure he's working on it. It's like 12 a.m. here. He's probably working on it right now, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, good question. Okay, from Florent Aubin at Florent Aubin 3, quote, what would be the best option with our pick? Is there great value for us early second round? So I'm not really a draft guy. I have to apologize. So it's, I like I said, I will be doing draft content and I've, I've done well to make friends with the good scouts, uh, you know, across the NBA. Some of the guys you've heard, you know, on the podcast over the past couple of years got hired to these big agencies and some, some got hired to teams, which is really great for them, but is worse for us, obviously. Um, I'll have some really great draft guys on to talk about all this stuff, but like um, Jalen Williams and Bryce McGowan's, I've heard a lot of people are really, really high on, um, I know a scout who likes Blake Wesley a lot. Um, we'll probably talk to him. Uh, Leonard Miller, I think quite a few people like. Um, he's Canadian, big wingspan, standing reach, all that kind of stuff. He has the measurables that the Raptors have kind of been looking for. And, uh, you know, but there's, you know, some people think, you know, he's underwhelmed in some areas and, you know, he's, he's too raw and everything like that. So that's interesting. Um, you could go big and just do like a, a really big guy. Um, with Walker Kessler, if you feel like you won't have a, a chance to get a good big guy in, you know, I guess free agency. But uh, yeah, that's that's probably where it's about. Uh, I can't really tell you if that's good value right now, though. Um, but my draft content coming up hopefully will illuminate some of these questions. I uh, I saw somebody. Okay, uh, somebody asked about yeah from Peter Wong at Peter Wong fifty. Do the Raptors take Leonard Miller if he's available? Not a very good showing at draft combine. Hey, is he another Bruno Caboclo two years away from being two years away? End quote. I can't, I can't say this for sure, but yeah, that's uh, kind of what I had mentioned as far as the answer about Leonard Miller. I hope that answers to your satisfaction as far as, as far as that goes. And then this one is from Santo Federico, the Dominican barber at uh, Nassim Ali. 
Okay, so Sir Sampson of House Folk, first of his name to my knowledge, is Julian Champagny worth pining over for this team? Uh, yeah, I think I am first of my name. Samson folk. I, I'm pretty sure they're Sam folks. I haven't heard of Samson folks. Uh, but you go to Ireland, maybe you find some stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, Julian Champagny. I think it's really cool to put brothers on a team together. That just, that rules. That's awesome. Um, I think that a lot of people view him as a far more polished offensive player than, than Justin, who I assume will be back next year. And I'm really excited to see how far along the, the catch and shoot three pointers are with Justin. Cause I really believe in his finishing and his rebounding is obviously obs- just obscene. It's insane. And uh, yeah. So Julian, uh, when I was kind of creeping around on this, I saw that he was, you know, the middle of the second round was kind of where people had mocked him. And I, once again, sorry, I'm not super, super into the weeds on the draft stuff yet, but Nassim, I will be, I will be talking about Julian in future stuff. So I guess, you know, if you feel so inclined to keep your head out for like the draft stuff, yes. Um, But I mean, you can pine over whoever you want. They go, you know, (laughs) do your thing. Uh, Yeah. But, you know, thanks for asking the question. Okay. This one is from my guy, Makai. Uh, at Kai French Fry, he's been on this podcast. Um, quote: What are some sets you'd like to see Nurse implement in order to get Pascal easier looks slash lessen the creation burden he is faced with? Okay, so this is a really great question. Um, as I talked about earlier in the podcast, in regards to Nakias's question, it's really interesting because Nurse admitted that he he could do more with Pascal and Scotty, but mostly Pascal at points during this season. So I think that's something that he's going to uh, emphasize next year. And, you know, point guard on the Raptors typically means screenplay, like, like pick and roll and stuff like that. And uh, I guess you can watch the, the uh, review and projection video I did. It's like 10 minutes long. It's got tons of film and tons of analysis on Pascal's all NBA season and how I think that he'll be used next season. And in that I have some pick and roll uh, insights, you know, he was 80th percentile, um, well, above the 80th percentile in uh, pick and roll scoring in the in the playoffs. And that was a really tough context to score in. He was also above average at it in the regular season. But his his um, how often he was using it, uh, you know, his frequency doubled from the regular season to the playoffs. So uh, the Raptors are finding more um, more stuff for him there. Blade action is probably something or blade action um blade concept is probably something interesting to look at the you can see it on screen the new orleans pelicans uh, ran it when julius randall was on the team all the time it's just a really good way to weaponize you know a guy with good mobility who's quick to kind of turn the corner and get downhill he'll lift out of the corner and this is where it's interesting because if you're putting pascal siakam in the corner you know is that giving away the play or the call who cares really? Because, you know, the Raptors are going to run a pick and roll at the top of it. And then the roller is going to act as a screener for Pascal to come off of. Maybe teams go under it. Maybe they don't. Maybe they chase. Who knows? But it would be an interesting way to kind of lessen the load and get him downhill looks if they feel so inclined. Then if the pick and roll goes somewhere, you know, Pascal shot 48% on threes uh, just this season. So if you park him in the corner and the ball funnels to him, I mean, he can he can shoot it from there. Certainly he, he was great at it this past year is just lower volume because the Raptors couldn't create those looks. So blade is probably something that they can look at, but just, yeah, more screen staggered screens, ghosted screens, straight up pick and hold, you know, you can do 
You can fill the corners. It could be, you know, spread. You can put a guy in the dunker spot, whatever. Just give him the ball and let a guy screen for him and kind of you allow him to be free in that way because he's been obviously he had 803 isolations this year, which is four more than the 799 that Luca had. He had the most in the NBA. He could he could use some more help. So, yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Makai. Thanks. Uh, thanks for asking. OK, we're at the two last questions, which I'm going to group together for the most part. Well, I'll answer T first. So this is from T at TMN underscore 04 underscore quote with how difficult slash near impossible defenses like Boston, Miami have made getting up clean spot up slash movement three point attempts. Does that make you feel more optimistic about how the Raps have seemingly devalued play finisher guys and opted for guys with more off the dribble potential, even if it results in clunkier hoops End quote. Yeah. So this is interesting because you're absolutely, I agree completely that, you know, the league and especially teams like Boston and Miami are just eating up space and they're just throwing so much attention at just running these guys off the line. And they're very interested in doing so. They have long, you know, disciplined defenders to do it. And it's really hard to even just relocate just the, the amount of bodies and length they'll throw at you. But do the Raptors devalue play finishers? And, and go for more off-the-dribble potential. If I think about who they've drafted or brought in-house, is that super true? Because kind of the, the accepted idea of the Raptors was that they were taking guys and just like Malcolm Miller, Ish Wainwright, O'Shea Brissett, you know, guys like that. You know, Delano Banton is kind of breaking from the mold. He's more into this season's version. But over the past however many years, the Raptors have taken – really limited dribblers. I think honestly, like OG, despite, you know, you and I both agree that he gets the spots on the court, but it is, that's like a really physical way to go about it. Pascal is just an outlier. He's, he's so special, especially considered where he was drafted. It's tough to use him as the rule to judge guys by, but you know, when I think of precious and the bet they made on him and the freedom they started to allow him, if we're using that as how the Raptors might operate going forward, then that's great because the, the NBA had, you know, defenses had trouble adjusting to the skip pass when LeBron first started slinging that around. And then, then they had trouble adjusting to the pass after the skip pass. And, and, you know, this connective passing that followed that kind of Utah during the regular season, these huge blown up offensive ratings kind of exemplify and now teams like Boston and Miami and the Raptors, you know, are trying to get there are just like, we're going to run you into length and we're going to make sure that you're moving when you decide what to do. You don't get to make decisions from a standstill. You don't get to make easy decisions in our best case scenario. And so is this something that the Raptors are trying to game around? They're definitely leaning in isolation, but I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's like genius or like, you know, broken clock right twice a day sometimes, but that's, yeah, that's a really interesting question because I think we have a different idea of what the Raptors are valuing because, you know, off the dribble potential precious fits that. And maybe we're thinking about precious here, but who, who the Raptors play when we looked at the 76er series, I think we were looking at, you know, a limited team, definitely, especially in game six when precious didn't play very well, the Raptors, when they, when the 76ers loaded up on Pascal, 
when the ball funneled, it was just like a bunch of three-point shooting and failed attempts to to attack off the dribble. So I don't think that the Raptors have, you know, I don't think that the Raptors are leaning into this as hard as maybe, you know, and maybe I'm misunderstanding what you're saying here, but have they devalued play finishers? Like, you know, I th- we're probably thinking of, of just shooters maybe then, you know, or, or like rollers, something like that. I'm not, I'm not sure, but because yeah, I was just talking about precious as, as a finisher at the top of the podcast. So this, yeah, this is getting, yeah, the semantics of it, we're having, we'll talk about this, just you and I, obviously, but I, certainly the Raptors leaning into the clunk, you know, the clunkier hoops, uh, that's something Lewis and I talked about so much is kind of leaning into the clunk and grinding your way out of situations that, you know, other teams, if they played, you know, Phoenix, they play like this really heavy stylistic framework that's very, very drawn up and very, very practiced and everything like that. But kind of got blown up, especially by, you know, the the Dallas defense just being so malleable and just like, nope, we're going to deny your actions and then recover, deny, recover, deny, recover. We're going to blow it up and make you try and freelance. And maybe that's what you're saying. It's like having guys who freelance. And that's where, you know, yeah, leaning into the isolation with guys like, you know, Precious, as I said, I expect him to do more. I think that that will bear fruit. Although I think that they're also... They're kind of they're leaving stuff on the floor by not introducing more potent actions. Sometimes the read and react stuff is a big ask of a lot of different players, especially since they're just saying go create the advantage. Um, but maybe that's a little bit different next year as far as who they give screens to and stuff like that. But as you you know, I know you screen merchant stuff like that. But yeah, that's a really interesting question. I don't have a very good answer. I don't think. But the first half, I think, is you make a you know a great point is just how hard it is to secure three point attempts for guys or just like shots at all for guys who can't get to the bucket on their own, who can't break through that line of defense and then go make a contested layup at the rim. You know, NBA defenses are putting you in that position like do that or don't score, you know, or hit really hard contested three pointers. So, yeah, I think you're bang on with that. Uh, we'll obviously get into the semantics of the the second half, just you and I. Um, last question from Joe Wolfond. Oh, Joe, the very best. So Joe Wolfond says, quote, where do you see the NBA's stylistic trend lines pointing? And to what extent and in what ways do you feel the Raptors are swinging with that current versus against it? Okay, let's start with against it. They don't shoot threes very well. And the NBA you got to hit some threes like Boston beating Milwaukee. It doesn't just come down to Grant Williams cashing triples, but Grant Williams cashing triples helped a lot. When the Raptors lost in the bubble, Marcus smart hitting triples helped a lot. Um, when Golden state, you know, triples are important. Although Golden state got to the rim a bunch, but you know, a big part of that is that people respect the, the shooting so that they get to attack closeouts and get downhill. So the Raptors are ignoring uh, traditional shooting stuff. They're ignoring rollers. They're just ignoring classic pick and roll stuff because they don't have a, a quality. Nobody on the on the team qualifies as like a good roller, even just because they either haven't gotten enough volume or they're just not good enough with big volume. Uh, they don't shoot the ball very well, and they're not good in the pick and roll, basically. 
unless it's Pascal just forcing life and being fantastic. They're so against current by doing that. Where they're super on brand and, you know, they're not really leading it, but they're certainly part of the wave of a few teams that are just length and just squeeze this space. You know, I talked about this with Henry Ward and Henry, you know, I, I refer to it as Hank ball. Obviously it's like length. It's squeezing the court and using, you know, your ability to kind of send these large, long guys everywhere um, to just kind of muck everything up and to make sure that everybody is dealing with tightly closed spaces to make decisions and to make shots out of. And that that's kind of, he was the first person I talked to about it at length. And that podcast is came out, you know, almost a year ago now. And it, it's really interesting because so many teams, Miami has been doing this for a little bit, just throwing everybody, you know, I, I just answered T's question about Boston and Miami doing this and the Raptors do this and Minnesota does this to some degree. And, and so does Memphis. Right. And uh, it, it's just fantastic to watch how inventive defenses are now, especially with, just maintaining the energy of it, right? Is like X outs, peel switching, like all this kind of stuff is just about main being more connective as a defense and turning mistakes into advantages. So it's like, if I'm closing out to this guy and he moves the ball, it might make more sense for me to just reroute and keep closing out on who made the ball next. And for the guy who was maybe a bit behind to rotate back to my guy, just to X out like that. And it's just taking advantage of who's already making those steps. You know, uh, an outfielder in the MLB could, uh, the jump, right? And roots efficiency and all this kind of stuff. It's like, that's everything. But the jump, you, you can get to a ball way farther away if you get a good jump. And so when teams are Xing out and doing like peel switching and stuff like this, and especially with long players, uh, you know, they're just covering way more ground and running guys off the line. And, and still sending other guys to recover to those lanes and having that guy reroute and, and kind of get back into space. So the Raptors are so into that, and that's the future of NBA defense. Well, it's the now. I mean, look at, you know, where Boston is, where Miami is and stuff like that. And, and Memphis, you know, they punch stuff against guys. And Dallas plays, you know, this really, you know, switchy, rotation-y brand of, uh, of defense as well. So I think that's where the Raptors are, are definitely with the trend. And maybe turnovers, that becomes a bigger thing. But yeah, where, where are the NBA stylistic trends pointing? Hmm. What would I say? Yeah, I think defensively is the biggest indicator. Offensively, yeah, offense seems like it's responding to defense now. Teams have found really interesting things defensively. And it seems like offenses are on the back foot, which sounds maybe wrong, but offenses are trying to figure it out currently. Defense has become massive and when a good drop team like milwaukee if they had chris middleton maybe they're here maybe they're headed to the finals right like that's a super great team and that's drop but they're, they're still closing space because they have this big dropper at the rim and, and they go under a lot of stuff and if they're chasing they're great at chase so it's it's still all about using length and tenacity to close space it's and it's like okay well if you want to beat us when we're in drop just make these heavily contested 16 footers and see if you can do it for seven games, you know. Um, th there's a lot of different ways, but defenses are are so great right now, and I think the Raptors have captured some of that. So I hope, that, uh, I hope that's a good enough answer to the question. But, Joe, that's a, a really great question. I hope that I didn't butcher it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's the podcast probably then. 
Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, I really hope I answered the questions to everybody's satisfaction. I hope you enjoyed it a bunch. Uh, yeah. So thanks for tuning in, uh, viewer, listener, whether you got into this in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye.